You are listening to Uncanny Landscapes, Excursions into the Otherwise, with Justin Hopper. One of the things we're trying to achieve is to create something that sounds, going back to that idea of false memories, something that sounds familiar, but you, you don't know why it's familiar. You think, oh yeah, have I heard this? This, this is like that other thing I once heard, but you don't know, you've no idea what that is. Welcome to Uncanny Landscapes, a series of conversations around and excursions into landscapes of the otherwise. You've just heard today's guest, musician and record label head Jim Jupp, describing the music he produces under the name Belbury Polly and releases through his Ghost Box Records label. And I'm your host, Justin Hopper. I am speaking to you from a small room in Dedham Vale, an area of outstanding uncanny beauty in the east of England. It is my goal through the conversations and accompanying detritus that comprise these podcasts to determine and slowly, poorly define their subject matter. They are concerned with a wide variety of interpretations of the uncanny landscape, which is, for reasons that will become obvious, the experience with which we so often encounter our surroundings. The atmosphere is changing here in the uncanny vale, and it feels as though summer has left, but only just. Had you been here days ago, even hours, you'd have caught its final glimpse. I can still almost sense it. As autumn washes in, I still do the same walk most days, the one-hour route I've followed since the heart of our lockdown, albeit with an occasional new addition. At some point over the summer, a new path appeared. There had been a path there once, that was never in doubt. The sign was there when I first arrived in the Vale years ago, a footpath arrow pointing west through a field crowded with scrub or crop or plowed over into impassable churn. But the path, that had always seemed a thing of the past, a remnant, perhaps a ruin. And then, suddenly, one day in June, it appeared, clipped and mowed, and I began to follow it most days. Following the path over the crest of a mild undulation, what we might here in East Anglia call a hill, it enters into the hunting grounds of a buzzard. I startled her one day as I suddenly appeared over the crest while she attempted liftoff, and she dropped her still wriggling prey. I am blacklisted now, and tread lightly on her grounds. Just beyond that, the path cuts through a small patch of wood, emptying onto a rickety old bridge that crosses a tiny stream, more a ditch, really, a field boundary. And soon after, it abruptly spills onto the busy 70-mile-per-hour A12 roadway. Across its four lanes, continuing in a straight line, the path picks up again on the other side. I've never been there. I don't know where it goes, whether it, too, is fresh shorn. The path, of course, predates the A12. It is a remnant of another time, perhaps another people. Ferry roads are the same. Build your house on one, and the ferries will simply go through your house. Build an A road through the middle, and you're inviting a mess of trouble into your commute. Better to go around. The ferries are an apt metaphor for the times in which we live, and the way we engage with the uncanny landscape. They are the powerful forces that we humans have driven out, but only just, only with our latest inventions, our newest habits. And yet, they are also always there, in the corner of the eye, or glimpsed in a field while whizzing past. They are powerful, invisible forces that we hold in both contempt and awe. They are that which was, and which always shall be, in the fields, in the hills, in the sky.
Jim Jupp records music under the name The Belberry Polly and releases it, as well as that of many other artists, through the Ghost Box Records label, which he operates with graphic designer and musician Julian House. Ghostbox is best known as one of the founding elements of the musical arm of hauntology, the cultural phenomenon that revitalizes misremembered corners and artifacts of past cultural efforts as new commentary on current media and memory. Using corner-of-the-eye moments from 1970s science fiction TV and film soundtracks, combined with healthy doses of folk rock, BBC sound effects LP covers, and Marshall McLuhan, Ghostbox attempts to re-enchant the modern world with homeopathic injections of its own recently forgotten media. It's important here that I disclose that I am implicated in the Ghostbox project, having been a part of two releases with Belbury Pollock. On The Gone Away, his latest LP of instrumental electronic compositions as the Belbury Polly, Jim Jupp concentrates on the stories of the fairies in all their many guises, and what we can learn about life and landscape from these just past tales. Which leads many people to ask him, with eyebrow raised, So, you've made an album about fairies? Yes, about fairies, which is um, <laughs> always gets uh, a bit of a strange response, which is in itself interesting, I think. Yeah. There's, um, there's, uh, because of the nature of Ghostbox and, and Belbury Polly, my own work for the label, is, is concept albums. I often, even though it's instrumental music that I record, I'm often asked, well, what's it about? What's the concept? And this time, you know, I've got to tell people it's fairies. And there's always that, there's that moment of, uh, right, it's, there's a slight discomfort. If I'd said ghosts, people would go, oh, right, okay. Or UFOs yeah, yeah. or the Loch Ness Monster, you know, people would be cool. With, but fairies is, there's this strange reaction. It's the sense that maybe I've gone mad or I'm being ridiculously childish. So it's this, it's, it's a subject that only has a certain context and it's not a context that we can talk about comfortably, which, which I love, which makes it all the more interest out of all those paranormal kind of subjects. This is the oddest one and the in, most interesting one, but it's got the, the deepest roots in folklore as well. So that's, that's what draws me into that, that subject. It feels like it's simultaneously incredibly of the moment you know you say in your press release even that you finished the album like a couple of days before lockdown and we'll talk about this in a minute but i think that there's a there's a, a, a an incredible sort of synchronicity to that actually but at the same time it's also like the most anachronistic kind of paranormal you know i mean it's this it, it had a heyday you know it's i mean ghosts have always been with us you know ufos probably had a heyday but are still you know, just as prominent in the culture. But fairies, I mean, it, it's, it's the kind of thing that literally everyone knows, and yet it seems to never have, it doesn't seem to have any place in our, in our society, which is also what you're talking about with this. I think it's, I think it's had several heydays, actually, in different, it, it's one of those, not like the ghosts, it's something that keeps coming back. It comes back in different forms and goes away and it, it changes shape. You know, that, that's a sort of fairy concept, the shape-changing thing, you know. Um, but in the folklore and the tradition and even the modern traditions and the modern uh, sightings, I'll use the word sightings, you know, people aren't seeing the same thing. There's no, you know, your UFOs, the, the, there's always the... Not always, but you know, it's the big green-headed guy with the big eyes. Fairies. Uh, people are seeing strange things. And even in the folklore, the strange monsters, the different sizes, they're tiny little things or they're giants. And the contemporary accounts, they're really hazy things sometimes. And it's, it's, it, it, it's not one thing. It's not one thing. But there is a commonality in all the stories the modern sightings, the traditions, the tales, the songs. There's, there's certain things, there's, fa there's, there's archetypes that crop up again and again. When I talk about that anachronism, I guess it's because, you know, 
I know that you're quite taken, for example, with with Arthur Macon, and uh, you know that you cite him in the um, in the liner notes, and you also cite uh, Fiona McLeod, who McLeod, who um, who's from a same era, that sort of early twentieth century, you know, uh, end end of the first industrial revolution kind of period. Um, can you talk a little bit about about that period and and how that sort of inspired you in the past and how it winds its way into this? Well, I think that's that's that period is just one of the threads in this, and that um, Arthur Macken. I say I'd say they, there's a lot of debate about this every time when people say Macken, Machen, whatever. I say Macken because I come from I, well, I grew up in Killian, where um, in Gwent just over the Welsh border, where Arthur Macken lived. And from there, you can see Macken Mountain. And there's a little town nearby called Macken. Everybody there calls it Macken. So I assume he took... And that wasn't his real name. So I guess he took his name from Macken, even though people in England say Macken. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe it was. Maybe he did Macken. He wasn't, he wasn't a Welsh speaker. And he was, he was fair-weather Welsh anyway, like me. You know, so... Macken came was writing at the tail end of, I guess, the Celtic revival, which went back into the 19th century. Um, when I think, um, well, Fiona MacLeod was um, William Sharp. I think was Fiona MacLeod was the pen name of William Sharp, surprisingly, and um, people like that. Uh, Lady Wilde were you know writing about Irish mythology and that. And there was a lot of fairy lore. It became very popular in Victorian days. And I think at the tail end of that was the decadent period with Arthur, Arthur Macken and his own take on that. And they, his take on that stuff was a bit darker, but a bit more, a bit more supernatural, but also a bit, but not horror stories, never horror stories. They're, they're tales of supernatural wonder and awe, it's that sort of thing. Um, but for, for Macken and for Victorian writers, certainly the ones that believed in the little people, there was there was the idea of euhorism, I think it is. But that was that's the idea that fairies, little people, were a survival of some prehistoric Neolithic race who'd gone to ground, literally, into the old barrows and tunnels when the Celtic people came in and subsequent waves of people, but never went away. So occasionally they they pop up in wild places, or if people dig too deep, you know, there they are. So that that was in some of Macken's stories about the little people, as they were, people of course. There's there's some there's a group of his stories that are called the little people stories that are about this stuff. Um, they're they're kind of malevolent entities, his little people, and they're they're ancient survivals. You don't know of what, of some prehistoric age, but they seem to have not only supernatural abilities, but physically they can they can squeeze through tiny gaps and they can, you know, wriggle through cracks in windows or brickwork or they can live under the ground. You know, they're not, they're not really human, um, but there's a, you know... <clears throat> so that, that was Macken's take on it, but... Um, that's obviously. I think that was discredited historically. That even that notion that as, as there was any kind of survival, not obviously, you know, not a supernatural survival, but there's no, there's nothing to it. Doesn't hold any water. So that sort of fell away. You mean, uh, you mean in terms of the the mythology itself? I think. I think so. Yeah. I think. I think because what came then in the early twentieth century is theosophy and the idea then fairies from rather than this thing that's that on one hand it the scientific explanation was this aboriginal survival but the other explanation was this celtic folkloric entity but then in the 20th century theosophy turned it into the into elementals nature spirits and i think that's when that's when fairies got their wings literally and became small, little, hovering things. The, the sort of fairies we, we think of today, when you say fairy to someone, they think of the, 
small female figure with a little skirt and wings and everything. Mostly that comes from, you know, Victorian children's stories, but really cemented by Disney. Now, Disney, I read, I think in the 14 Times, actually, was, turns out he was a member of the Fairy Investigation Society, which was an organisation in this country. And he was very interested in theosophy, and he joined up in the 20s. And from that moment, all his films crammed with fairies. And they're very much in that nature spirit, elemental thing. Sickly, sugary, sweet, you know, but that's, that's how the culture, the, fa- the idea of fairies has evolved, which is what, probably why it turns people's stomachs when I say I'm doing an album about fairies. But that, cause that's, that's, the, that's the notion, we've, that's what we've ended up with. That's, that's you know, Tinkerbell is the fairy, which is a far cry from the weird shambling monsters in folktales. You've just kind of um, corrupted my world, my fairy worldview a little bit. But it is something that, you know, it's, it's a fantastic sort of metaphor to use when we live in an era in which we have to deal with um, massive invisible forces, uh, largely related to the environment. Um, whether that's something as as you know epochal as as climate change, or something absolutely massive and world changing, but but actually less so than that, like coronavirus. Um, you know, these are all things that are invisible. That are you know you can't put your finger on any of them, and and they're out there, and they crop up in. You know, they they pop up in the way that you can see the wind rustling or something. You know, they're very poetic kinds of forces. And fairies seem like such an apt metaphor for that kind of entity that has that has been dormant for all this time. And is as you say, you know, is something you can only see out of the corner of your eye. And when you look at it, it's gone. The whole topic seems very current. And I I don't really know why. I think it's certainly it chimes with environmental concerns and issues and ideas that, you know, it may be time for nature to take revenge or take things back, um, which which is some of the, you know, nutty theories about coronavirus. That's, you know, because the first thing that happens in lockdown, the pollution sorts itself out, the, the atmosphere is better, wildlife comes back. And it's almost like, oh, hang on, is somebody arranging or something arranging for us not to do all this bad stuff anymore? And it's that maybe there's that sort of, it's like Gaia, I guess, that personification of, you know, earth spirit stuff, you know, forcing its will against us. So that kind of chimes with the the idea of a fairy, especially in folklore where they're quite malevolent and, They'll protect a field or a wood or an animal and, you know, woe betide the person that crosses them or does the wrong thing. And they they largely, in folklore, they want us, at best, we're there to be tricked and generally they just want us out of the way, so. Yeah, they, they want us to keep our keep our distance, you know. in I'm sure this is probably the same on this island as well, but in Ireland, they're... Um, you know, ferry roads are, you can't disrupt a ferry road. If you build a house in the middle of a ferry road, the road continues its, its work. You know, they just come through it at night every night. specific mythological creature but about sort of the fleetingness of things about sort of ephemerality yes yeah that's this is what it's really about i think yeah it, it, i think well first of all first of all in a, in quite sort of maybe a flippant way that you use the word ephemeral which is perfect because you know, I'm I'm keen to point out this is just as 
as much as I'm often, I, I talk to people like this and I have interviews like this about these grand concepts, but it, this is, it's nothing. It's ephemeral. It's a piece of electronic instrumental music that's, you know, it's, it's just hot air. That, that idea and, the, and, and how these little cultural things like, you know, a record label, a recording artist, it, it passes. So it just seemed to chime with this folklore idea of these, these stories, these, these entities, which they're not, there's a sense that they're not really there. Even, even in the, even in the dire warnings from, you know, the old, the old people who say, don't go, don't go there. Don't, don't walk past that tree after dark, whatever it is. There's, um, there's a sense that even if you do, bad things will happen. But you see fairies, but they're not really real. But there's they're 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 sort of real and unreal. But um, and there's often a thing in the in the um, in the folklore that you that nobody can see them. Actually, you see things out of the corner of your eye, or there's certain. I think in I think in Irish some of the Irish folk tales there's. There's certain ointments that you can rub on your eyes and you will be able to see the fairy or you're gifted something by a wise person who which allow, which gives you the second sight. So you can you can see them. But there's still there's still always this sense that they're they're not really there, or they're always and the other thing is they're always leaving. So whether they were ever there or not, they're always gone. So all the fair a lot of the fairy stories start with there used to be a fairy king that lived here or there was a boggart that used to live down the road on Clackety's farm or whatever it was. Um, but they're never, they're never there anymore. And that runs right, right back to um, in, in Chaucer and his wife of Bath sings a song about the old days, how the King Arthur held his court and the fairies were still here. So even, even in the middle ages, they'd gone in the old days. They've always gone. And there's the, um, as I live in Sussex now, and the the local, um, one of the local fairy um, legends here, and a fairly modern one is that the last fairies left England um, from a place called Harrow Hill, which is near Sisbury Ring. And um, they left, according to, I think, an old lady who lived on a farm there. She saw them leaving one morning. Because the archaeologists had turned up and started digging, so they're always this, which is interesting again, because it's, it's this thing that science and people have driven them away. So they've, they've always gone. It's things that are always passing, maybe because of what we do, but we can never, we can never see them, never contact these things. But it's not, yeah, maybe it's not in this album. It's it's, it's concept stuff. It's it's not literally. I'm not literally talking about seeing. It sounds a bit um, trite to say that yeah, I derive great inspiration from the landscape, but but I do from the from you know from from the downs as well. But then hundreds of musicians have been constantly walking the downs and and deriving the same sort of inspiration. But but no, I really do. And when I'm up there, I have a dog, so I'm I'm up there. It's only just down the road from me, and I'm I'm up in the up in the hills and um um. I find I do I do have musical ideas when I'm walking and there's there's that direct sense of you know the act of walking does you know stimulate ideas and I grab my phone and sing a little tune into the phone quite often or just make some notes uh but but generally there's there's that um the idea of the landscape as well and the the stories about the landscape and all the stuff we overlay when we look at a, a vista that I find interesting. That um, I suppose that's what people like you call psychogeography, isn't it? I don't, I've never really got a handle on what that is, but I think it is that it's it's the stories we overlay and the the personalities in 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 the landscape. But you know, I like that, and I I kind of derive inspiration in in that same way, I guess. Ghostbox in general, and Belbury Polly specifically, has a very suburban feel to it, like the the sort of dark English suburb that's that's dark while also jolly that's you know really smiling but um 
but in a kind of um, so in a kind of Stepford way, there's this you know there's this cuckoo kind of remove. There's the beautiful smiling suburb, and then a half step of of remove away from that. There's the soundtrack made by Ghost Box. That's definitely there. That's that's certainly with with my work, Balbury Polly works. It's the inspiration there, and uh, you know. Uh, the musical ideas draw on folk music and pastoral music and even early music, but they're all, I'm not really, I didn't grow up with those things. I'm not steeped in them. They're as received through the TV when I was a kid, you know, those are, I heard those things and they were, they were mystery mysteries to me because I didn't know what they were. I didn't know what that kind of music was, whether it was, you know, on film soundtracks or, weird kids programs there's a mystery that's not in in the authentic thing i think as much i enjoy traditional folk music but i prefer you know acid folk weird folk from the 60s you know it's it's that stuff it's the received stuff that interests me because that's where the there's that disconnected i don't i I can't like that lack of authenticity sometimes because it can it can It can lead you somewhere else, especially is if you wear that on your sleeve, as as I try to do. You know, I don't, I don't claim to know a lot about early music or the pastoral tradition in English classical music or or folk song. I like that stuff, but I'm not I'm not schooled in it. So it's it's that stuff as it would be pastiched in in, in library music, production music used in you know in TV and films. So it's it's like uh, it's like understanding Elgar as as played on a synthesizer on the soundtrack to something, or yeah, or something that was Elgar esque used in a an old seventies nature documentary. You know that that's that's the sort of those are the magic moments for me. It, it stands to reason then that um, while you do have a, a, a great sort of personal love for an experience of the landscape through through walking through direct experience that the kind of musical inheritance that you have from it is actually through a few of these layers through a few filters yeah definitely yeah and it's 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 probably led me back to you know i always wanted to live in the countryside and i only have done in the last few years really i I grew up in in suburbs and um and a lot of what ghost box is about the artists on ghost box a lot of us are quite quite long in the tooth you know and um grew up in the 70s 60s 70s 80s and um there's the a strong element of what we do is something that it, it, on the one hand it is nostalgia but it's nostalgia for things that weren't quite as they were it's it's about things we've remembered incorrectly or you know those moments when you you go back to a, an old film you haven't seen since you were a kid think, oh, I can't wait to see this because I know there's that bit coming up where the guy does something and it, and you see it and you say oh it, that that didn't happen that's not there but the thing that didn't happen is is it's almost like we're trying to recreate that in sound and our visuals and design work is it's those the interesting stuff you remembered that didn't actually happen. That's that's it's a version of nostalgia, I guess. I always like and and I'd say in common with most of the other ghost box artists, one of the things we're trying to achieve is to create something that sounds going back to that idea of false memories, something that sounds familiar but you, you don't know why it's familiar. You think, oh, yeah, uh, have I heard this? this? This is like that other thing I once heard, but you don't know, you've no idea what that is. So that's a, that's, that's a mood, really, that you can capture. I mean, and, and all that is with smoke and mirrors, it's just grabbing certain intervals that were used at certain times in certain music from here or certain bits of melodies or certain rhythms that tend to trigger those memories. And... I've, you know, there's a few, there's a few that I use that I know I can put things together and people, people will think oh, I've heard, oh no, I haven't. But, um, 
I think hopefully beyond just me rewriting the same bit of music over and over again, which I, I probably do to a certain extent. I like to try and as I'm doing that, I try trying to pull the rug as well and think, oh, okay, we know what the next key change will be, but it's always go somewhere else. But but all all composers say that always go, oh, take a left turn, not a, you know, take the unexpected thing. Not always. But just when it happens, it's like, oh, right, didn't see that coming. But having said that, the music I composed largely is quite light and simplistic. There's a lot going on at any one time, but it's not, it doesn't use, there's no deep musical musicality or musical theory that goes into it. But it's just, you know, it's just a bag of tricks that I've developed. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, there's there are moments when I think, oh, I can take this in a dark direction. It does become unsettling but i'm not drawn to making you know horror soundtracks so much i have done a bit of that with earlier belbury stuff and other projects of work on that very very dark instrumental music but again if i can go back to arthur macken what i like in supernatural fiction is is not horror it's fiction that's often called horror fiction but writers like macken and algernon blackwood and a lot of people writing at that time were writing about things that were, were sometimes horrifying or terrifying, but it was more about this, this sense, trying to capture this sense of awe and uncanniness in, in a, in a, but not necessarily a negative sense, even that idea of panic terror and that suddenly disorientation in, in nature is not, a totally negative experience it just takes you out of yourself it's it's like a religious experience i guess more is this you know is this this that's the kind of mood that i'd like you know to aim at to get you know that i don't think you can you well i don't know maybe i get there occasionally but you know those certainly those writers would achieve that and um it's it, but it's not it's not horror it's never about horror and that's that's where i think even though what we do in Ghostbox has been partly put together with um, the revival of interest in the in the folk horror movies and that tradition, and which is which is a big thing now. There's a new in in fiction. There's a new breed of folk horror writers, and it's 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 a genre now. And you know that's certainly something that influenced influenced us, and is still this still a strand of that in what I do. Certainly, I mean this. You could you could listen to this new record I've done and say, oh yeah, this is a soundtrack to a, a folk horror TV thing. Um, it could be that, but I think it stands a bit separate. It's it's certainly not in the horror genre. That's not what I'm interested in. If if instrumental music can have a be attached to a literary genre, you know. One of the things I really wanted to talk about is the idea of home. If you make the mythology, decide that the mythology is going to be real and we're going to decide our world is one in which these creatures existed, then we're talking about creatures that have been driven out of their homes or, you know, that, that gone away is about creatures, quite powerful creatures in most of this mythology that have been vanquished or, or banished from from their place. Well, one thing that strikes me about that is, is one of the one of the notions in or in in the older folk tales about fairies. There's something that struck me, and I don't know if anybody's. I'm sure somebody must have made folklorists would have made this analogy and probably written loads about it. I don't know, but it it just occurred to me that these fairies aren't fairies there's something more familiar because there's there's fear and suspicion there's tales of them stealing things stealing people moving on and so these are these are travelers it's just one you know just maybe one interpretation of all of that mythology and um, these are just the fears and prejudices projected onto these supernatural creatures but there is but that is interesting there's um 
again an Arthur Macken story called the um, Turanians, which is a part of a, a cycle of very, very short sort of prose poems. He wrote a series called Ornaments in Jade, which I'd really recommend. It's great. But one of them is called the Turanians, or tu Turanians, is that right? I think so. About uh, a young girl who's forbidden to go to the woods because these traveling people are there. But she goes and she sees them as a kind of this fantastic sort of um, goblin world of these colorful, um, oddly shaped folk and their bright fires and painted vans. And, and she, she spends time with them and she's, she keeps running away to, to disappear with these people. But she comes away with these strange magical stones and charms and items. And that, that's about it, really. That's as far as the story goes. But you think, oh, right, you know, there's, there's this tradition that there are people who live closer to nature and that we, we are generally either suspicious of them or in awe of them and, and or there's something to learn from people who do live like that and do live and are always moving on. Tell me about your own experiences. Did you have a, a, for example, did you have a sort of, did you have any strange experiences as a child or did you have perhaps the, the direct opposite? Did you have a, a confoundingly normal childhood that, that led you to be interested in these things? I've had a few odd experiences that stuck with me from childhood and one, one from not so long ago as well that could be related to all this. There's certainly those... And again, they're corner of the eye moments or things misremembered. One thing I remember, and I certainly remember my mother and my grandmother talking about fairies. I mean, we, we do to our children today, but in a much more real sense than perhaps today. It was still, my mother would be would have been brought up, I suppose, still believing in fairies when she was little. And I took my grandmother's generation. Probably, you know, maybe there was more belief. I don't know, maybe not, but... Um, I remember being told about fairies as a very small child and once seeing on our the table in our kitchen, in our family home, a small footprint when I came downstairs in the morning, like about an inch long on the table, and being absolutely astounded by it. Now, I can't remember anything else. I don't remember what... It was probably just a smudge of something on the table, but I saw it as a perfect boot print and thought, that's a fairy footprint. They're real and they've been in here. And that always stuck with me. And another one, which is, this this is really cartoonish and preposterous, but it's always stuck with me, of being driven along through the countryside late at night in the back of the car, probably half asleep, you know, as kids are. But that, those are always magical moments when you're a kid, aren't they? Driving, being driven in the back seat and the lights going Absolutely. past. You see things, you see things. So I saw a few lights of houses just dotted around. And I saw a doorway very near the road, but the perspective was wrong, so it looked small. So it only looked a couple of feet high, but it was brilliantly lit. And silhouetted in this doorway was um, a character, but Mr. Pickwick, that you know, tubby shape with the flat hat and a walking stick. The sort of archetypal, the Victorian kind of droll character, or a fairy story illustration you know but but there he was in silhouette just goes past the car and that's that's always stuck with me but you know it's memory and I, I probably didn't see that I probably dreamt it I don't know but it's it's one of those things you I think we all live with those moments I always think about that it's it's it's, it's nothing but it's there it's part of my makeup yeah, yeah. and more more recently I say recently it's probably about 10-15 years ago Again, in the car, my wife and I were driving along a motorway. I think my wife was driving, so I was just gazing out at the, um, at the field, zooming past. This is a bright, um, a sunshiny day. And in the middle of a field, alongside the M25, something like that, 
um, I saw a hare squatting in the field, like a, you know, rabbit, hare. But this is a hare, not a rabbit. And But it must have been about five foot tall, sat right in the middle of the field. It just went zoom, straight past again. I said, what the f... <laughs> and it's... it's that was that's kind of what informed some of these ideas about the corner of the eye. It's it's those what the f- moments you know that, that I love that kind of that's how we experience the supernatural. It's it's our brains fooling us, and yeah. it's nice to hang on to them as maybe maybe, but you know your brain fools you in that lovely way and and creates these visions and memories. But you know maybe I did see a little man and maybe I did see a giant here. But I've since found out actually lots of people see giant hares. It's a, it's a bit of a, a strand in weird country sightings. I, I'm not the only one to have seen the big hare. Yeah, no, the other thing that occurred to me on the, on the folklore stuff again, which is stuff I'm, I'm probably know more about than, than when you get talking to music. I'm not one of those music people who will talk about the synthesizers and sequences and stuff you know i know he's, this isn't about that anyway but no no um, but the other the other thing the 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 folkloric stuff is that um of course the other thing the fairies are in tradition is the dead i think you mentioned it earlier especially in in wales and in ireland we're not talking about other other entities they are us this is what happens when we die we live in this underworld so that you know this which is again why the another another um another way the title the gone away made sense and why i had a slight wobble about sticking with that title at the start of lockdown wondering how many people will die and how many yeah. people there will be, and is it a time to make an ephemeral album about death? But it's not about death. But you know, I thought that maybe that title could be. But you know, people die. We all die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you yeah, and you do something, and it becomes different things as the world changes. Yeah, so yeah. you know, whether you like it or not, there's an element of the that record that's about that's about lockdown. Mm. you know that's about things that we've always known disappearing How do you make a concept album that's instrumental? How does that seep in? It does. It does seep in, and and to a certain extent, it's post-rationalized when when a lot of the tunes are roughed out. So I just I follow my interest. What I've been, you know, listening to what what stuff has has been going around my around my head, where my head's at, at the time. And usually start working up a few ideas, little musical sketches. And and once about four or five things are on the go, as soon as I step back, there's usually, oh, I think this has that feel or this is about that. That's not to say that, you know, when, when I work those ideas up and add more, it might go in another direction. But the, the as you say, the concept does seep in and colour what I'm doing. And eventually it overwhelms it and then takes the final productions and the editing and the selection of tunes and the titles, it's really led by the concepts then. And then, then that reins me in and I thought, well, this is, this might be too, too light or too rhythmical or too dark to, to fit with that concept. So the concept, you know, does take over. I think I've got better at doing that. It used to, it used to be for me more about the, more about the just purely about the sounds and 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 maybe some of my albums some of the criticism has been that you know this is a bit of a patchwork it's got some of that it's got some of that it's got this it's folk music there's some turkish psych there's some electronica there's you know it's all in all in one record um i always see some kind of sense in it but i i i I've I've tried to rein that in and and make things make the mood a bit more consistent with albums 
that I record now. We have we've we've developed this kind of um as you know, you've been you've been dragged into the ghost box world yourself and you, you've seen the process of how the concepts visually certainly get added onto an album. So we, we like to work with um if it's not my record or Julian's, we'll work with the artists and say even if they've got to present us with a finished set of recordings, we say this is great. First thing we say is is what's the, what's this about in your head? Where where where's your head at with this stuff? What what pictures are you seeing? And often they'll tell us. We thought it's it's usually no surprise actually. You know, we, we only work with people on a similar wavelength, so we we know what sort of thing it is. Whether it's a it's got a science fiction vibe there, or there's something more mysterious or there's a psychedelic thing you know we will agree what it's about and then we go through this process of mood board so julian will get visual reference ideas together and it might be stills from old movies book covers album covers you know posters just bits of graphic design or film image that he likes that he thinks illustrates that concept and i'll often work with him on that and something I often do is work with the artists on on titles and any any copy that goes into the record. Some artists give us a whole uh, and they say oh, I haven't got any titles. You you can do them for me because you know that's what you and Julian do. So I you know I'll I'll title the whole whole record. Sometimes it's halfway. Sometimes sometimes I argue the toss with people and try and get them to change their their titles that I don't like. And sometimes they don't. But you know it it's it usually fits. We we like to. We tend to work with people who get it and are happy for the the ghost box concept engine to take top billing. So if you look at the record covers, go the label, the name of the label ghost box always appears at the top. There's always a logo. And ghost the it's a record the record label is almost like the band identity. So it's, it's a lot of our artists are, you know, solo artists and everyone's quite happy to be quite anonymous. They're, you know, some of them have been in the music industry a long time ago some of them haven't some of them are but there's not many artists who perform live some do um but for the most part you know they they're they're on board because they they like the design and the concepts to do the talking and they're, they're happy for their that they don't have to appear on you know in photos and promo videos and the rest of it the sound world, when I'm working on something, the sound world soon establishes itself. And it might be, it, it, for me, it often ties it into a certain, a certain era or a certain other thing. You know, I'm, there's, there's, quite a, there's a few tracks here that are basically built on an idea of something that already existed, whether it's an old TV thing or a library track. I thought, oh, I wonder how they got that sound. I wonder what instrument that is. And I'll, you know, I'm not, I'm not um, above recreating something in a different way, <laughs> you know. One thing I've tried to do in recent years and, and really tried very hard on this record is to make the some of the programmed electronic elements not behave as you would imagine, to get away mm. from that grid of you know dance music electronic music pop music as we as we usually hear it you know with consistent rhythms and time signatures so where i can nothing nothing really even if there's a simple sequence or an arpeggio there's either there's very little repetition because things drift or I've thrown a spanner in the works in terms of the timing. So uh, there's there's a conscious, even though I'd use a lot of digital tools and, and synthesizers with sequences and there's, there's mechanical things happening, there I've tried to try to make those mechanical elements obviously mechanical, but more sound more organic, if that makes sense. Yeah. So there's so there's not there's there's repetition, as there always is with electronic music, but there's not direct repetition or not not things aren't happening as exactly as you expect and there's that there's the kind of corny proggy thing of throwing in a weird time signature and taking a wild jazzy turn to the left you know and then back again. Yeah. <laughs> but um 
You say that uh, quite dismissively. <laughs> <laughs> I can only talk about uh, talk about my music in a dismissive way. I don't know. It's 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 the concepts and the musical ideas and the approach. It's just it's just the tools that we use to get a record that sounds nice to us and looks nice and looks mysterious and the whole package is mysterious. I don't have any major claims about it actually having any intrinsic mystery or great artistic merit. I just like it. It's what is, you know, it's, it, we're just doing the best we can to get that funny, intangible idea realized. You know, it sounds to me like what you're saying is that the entire concept of ghost box is just trying to give people that very, very brief moment when they're entirely unsure of what they're getting. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's those it's just those those moments that just take you out of yourself for a second. Thank you for listening to Uncanny Landscapes. We'll be back soon with the next installment. My guest was Jim Jupp. Follow him on Twitter, at Ghostbox Records. There are more links in the podcast info. The music was taken from the Belberry Polly's new album, The Gone Away, available now. The title theme, as is always the case, is by the Belberry Polly. And all these sounds come courtesy of Ghostbox Records. The Uncanny Landscapes icon is by Stefan Musgrove, Firebrand Creative. Additional special thanks to Lucy Greaves. I'm Justin Hopper. You can contact me via justin-hopper.com or on Twitter, at Old Weird Albion. More installments coming soon. Follow or subscribe if that's an option, or keep a lookout on the wires. And until then, remember Arthur Mackin. Just as our remote ancestors called the dreaded beings fair and good precisely because they dreaded them, so they had dressed them up in charming forms knowing the truth to be the very reverse. <laughs>